race relations in Northern Ireland, past, present and future. An MME Matters video and podcast series from the Migrant and Minority Ethnic Council. Part 3. Histories. With Denise Wright of the South Belfast Roundtable, Nisha Tandon OBE of Arts ECTA, and Anna Lowe MBE, a former MLA. Presented by Morris McCartney. I'm Denise Wright, I'm the Race Relations Coordinator at South Belfast Roundtable. Um, we deliver a lot of training, we have Belfast Friendship Club and we coordinate the Refugee and Asylum Forum. Yeah, and you've been working on these issues for a long time, as I know personally. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been working on these issues probably for over 20 years now in one capacity or another. So you've built up a good bit of experience and I suppose that's well one of the things we're, we're going to talk about, but... Just before that, I wonder if you could maybe set out the sort of historical context. I know you've been looking at the history of different waves of immigration. Yeah. Maybe you could quickly sketch out that history. Well, I suppose this island has normally been a place that exports people rather than receives them. Um, but when we get to the end of the, the 19th century, we see a very small but significant group of um, Jewish people arriving into Belfast. And then as we go into the sort of the 1930s, we see the Indian community arriving. Because they're part of the British Empire, they have the right to, to, to be within the UK. And then later in the 1960s, our Hong Kong Cantonese speaking Chinese community arrived. And then I suppose we had the troubles. We had conflict. We had a poor economy. We had terrible weather, still do. And we saw very few people arriving. And we also have to remember our geographical situation, the very edge of Europe, not an easy place to get to. In 2004, we saw not only the expansion of the European Union with 10 countries joining, including the, the A8 Central Eastern European countries, but we also had a lot of Indian and Filipino people arriving, invited by the government to work within within our health service. And so we went from very little diversity to quite a lot of diversity in a very short time. Um, statistics from last year show that we had, had about 22,000 Polish people and 12,000 Lithuanians in Northern Ireland. And so, you know, across the past 16 years, we have seen a real peak in migration. I don't believe we'll ever see that again in my lifetime, but it goes from very little until probably around 2007, where we see a very significant decrease um, down to about 2013, and then an increase again. And of course, across that time, we have lots of non-EU people arriving, taking up work um, in academia, in the health service, in IT, engineering, all contributing to our economy. And alongside that, since 2015 until last year, we had over 1,800 Syrian refugees arriving and being resettled right across Northern Ireland. So what we have now is a Northern Ireland that's incredibly diverse with people from a very wide range of backgrounds. And we have an increasing number of people coming to, to seek asylum. I know during the COVID crisis that the response for the refugee and asylum community was serving 1,200 people in Belfast who are in the system. Not all have come in the past year because it takes time to get your case heard and so we are increasingly diverse we're certainly not as diverse as other parts of Europe 
um, we're not as diverse as the south of Ireland or GB, but it brings a whole range of benefits, but it also brings challenges both for people who are already here and probably even more so for the people who are arriving. Yes, uh, Morris, I was, um, I have been living in Northern Ireland for 43 years. Well, I came here in 1974, really still at the height of the troubles in, in Northern Ireland. I haven't, I am not born and brought up here. Nisha Tandon. Um, I came uh, uh, very much an immigrant who came and settled here through arranged marriage and um, had lot of arts background from back home. I had done National School of Drama and I had a little bit of um, uh, history and geography and all those sort of things and also very keen dancer. Uh, but unfortunately, the areas which I was good at um, because of conflict and because of so many other issues within Northern Ireland, uh, I never got a platform, you know, to be really flourishing in my work, which which I was good at. Uh, obviously, there were very few ethnic minority people here in Northern Ireland. And alone. And I remember being stared at, you know, uh, on the streets and people, you know, ask you, where did you come from? And, and, and all the rest. Uh, but I mean, I, I got used to it and I felt enough, I think, with the countryside in Northern Ireland, the friendly, friendly people or friendliness uh, of people here in, in Northern Ireland. And I got a job in the BBC. And so I was quite content with that. But um, obviously, with, with not many Chinese people, whenever I saw on the street uh, a Chinese person, I would go up and chat with the person and realize how isolated the Chinese community was in those days. And the majority of them came from the rural area of Hong Kong, where there wasn't a lot of formal education and many of them had very little English um, when they came over. So I started to do a little bit of um, other sort of work, which was again, a sort of hobby type of works, like, you know, um, Indian cookery, Indian culture and all that sort of stuff. And really tell you the truth, it was very much welcomed. And I remember uh, it was multicultural um, association in, uh, in, in those days. And there was a lady called Fee Ching, who was absolutely, she was from Malaysian background, but really believed uh, that, you know, there's a lot more to be done for minority ethnic and especially the women. So uh, that that's how my journey started. And I started to teach in women's groups and uh, through multicultural resource center and all those sort of, you know, places we started to go a lot of, lot of areas. And then I started to develop with my own uh, talent of dance and started to teach in Crescent Arts Centre and many other um, colleges and schools and all that. So in 1978, I started a an English class for Chinese residents in, in Northern Ireland. And really from then, I began working with the Chinese community, either on the voluntary basis or as, as a, a, an employee uh, in the Chinese Welfare Association. Um, so the, um, 
their their understanding i think like many ethnic minorities in northern ireland uh, of politics is is, is very very little really um the thing is if you come from a different country to northern ireland and you're not a christian and certainly you don't feel you belong to this place and i think it's still the same in 20 you know 21 so that 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 was it and it i just seen that there was a lot of women who were coming in this country from a lot of different backgrounds and they were very much isolated they were just not getting what they wanted to do but they had talents and they wanted to explore their talents in such a way so i thought of um art sector basically and uh, thought that there is there is a, a way of bringing these people and integrating them and getting their um, isolation um, sort of um, away from them because it was impacting their mental health and so many other bits and pieces. So let's do it. And that's how we started our journey. We did a lot of consultation. We did so many other bits and pieces to see whether it is ever going to be successful or not. Um, and uh, that's it. And I don't really look back and it is now uh, a very successful story. Started with um, uh, in my back room uh, with 1500 pounds, which was uh, awarded to me as a social entrepreneur uh, by Unlimited. Um, and they loved the product and the product went places. They invested more 15,000 pounds and then we got a small room um, uh, to sort of, you know, have an office space. Um, and uh, that was it. And then the journey started and today we are seven members of staff and um, some part time in it. Um, and we have 43 different artists who we work with. Yeah. yeah, so our, our outreach for Belfast Mela itself is about 30,000 people who will attend and that is only one day event, that also not one day from 12 to um, 7 p.m. in the evening. Um, but it is the outreach work which we do, you know, and it's the innovative programs which we bring in. And um, and we work with all art forms. It's not just, but our dance, music, visual art is very, very big for us. Um, and it's the theater, which is my background. We do use theater, but basically more in the peace and reconciliation work, or maybe more um, the topic of today, you know, like, uh, human rights or uh, refugee and asylum and all those sort of things. You know, today's uh, sort of uh, relevant topics, you know, women's place, gender and all those sort of things, you know. Um, I recently, you know, was in, in um, Zoom um, meeting with lots of ethnic minority people. I don't have been here for a long time or recent comers. Um, you know, people just feel excluded. Um, they find it difficult to join, to, to find out about politics or to want to participate in politics. Um, and they all understand how important it is 
to be involved in politics. And um, so, you know, our, I think our tribal politics and complex politics um, turn people off as well. Just people feel that, you know, they don't belong to one side or the other of a political divide. And um, so that, that is a barrier to people. But there is also, I think, a lack of trust in our politicians caring about ethnic minority issues. I mean, people talk about the racial equality strategy that it's supposed to be for 10 years and five years have gone and people haven't seen really any improvement. Each department is supposed to have an action plan, a race champion. You know, we hardly ever heard from any of them except one um, who's been very good and absolutely outstanding. But what are the other champions doing? So they really need to, I think all government departments, ministers and all really need to double, uh, really double their, their action and their willingness um, to try to, to gain confidence from ethnic minority people uh, before you, know, you would see more ethnic minority you know, people coming forward. To, to become politicians or councillors. Uh, you know, the, the police actions of late, like um, Black Lives Matter has only made a dent, a dent in, in, in the confidence of, of ethnic minority people in, the, um, in policing. And, and so, so justice systems too, we have seen very, very few prosecutions, successful prosecution of hate crime. And um, obviously, people just lose heart and say, well, why should they go and report incidents to the police? Because they don't see any outcome from, from their reporting. Um, also, I think our political parties really haven't done very much in going out to understand issues. I think that's what people say. You know, they don't care about us. They don't understand what issues, you know, we, we, you know, we are concerned with, you know, like schooling, like bullying in school, ethnic monitoring, bullying in work. And they're saying, well, what are these guys up in the hill doing for us? Um, you know, they're talking about COVID and ethnic minority people are more likely to contract, uh, to, to um, yeah, to get, to get, the virus and what are they doing? You know, what are they doing to, to maybe give proper information? I know there are some translation, you know, on website about it, but you know, are the politicians going specifically to community centers, to community organizations, or even Zoom using, you know, to ask ethnic minority organizations, communities, how are they doing? You know, are they, are they getting the right support? So, you know, we can talk about, um, oh, we need more people to come forward. You need to do the groundwork to gain people's trust that you're really care, caring about them and wanting to know about them. There were, all, there were barriers. There were barriers in any, any way we went, whether it was education, whether it was, you know, me being brown, and uh, coming from a different uh, different country, different accent, different, uh, though my English was okay, like, you know, I can speak good English and um, 
you know, so yes, there are barriers. There were still barriers uh, in policy type of work. There is nobody wants to listen to people from minority ethnic until you make a big noise. Um, and sometimes you make a big noise and you're heard, but sometimes you're not. You are taken into a different perspective and they will not sort of want to listen. They're all oh, same old, same old story. So from, uh, from volunteers uh, to getting artists, to getting to um, the councils to look into uh, what we do and how we do, uh, there are still there are still barriers in many councils that you cannot reach because they have their way of working. Um, and uh, as I said to you, even at the Stormont level, uh, we are not the citizens who they want to listen on everyday basis. And especially the topic which I have is arts, culture and heritage. You know, um, those arts is okay to do it. But in their ways, does arts make a difference? You really, really, really have to uh, go to the bottom of it to make sure that we are heard, we are listened, that arts do make a difference. You know, arts make, arts is not just there for use it, abuse it and throw it. Arts is that you will work through um, and see the changes in people if you have a right programs and right mechanisms and right way of working. But still, Morris, there is a huge amount of work which needs to be done at the policy level. There is a big need for representation to have ethnic minority people into local politics and councils as well as up in, in the assembly. Um, you know, they need a voice. They have been overlooked for many, many years. And there are really many ethnic minority people here who are very capable, who are very interested in, in wanting to be a part of our political system. And yet, I think there, there are barriers in there. And I think basically that's the, the lack of confidence in in. in in communities thinking that, you know, they're going to be taken seriously and they're, the politicians really want them to join as well. Whether, you know, is it going to be again like tribal politics, sectarian issues that they do not want to be a part of? So your advice to the politicians would be to reach out, not to try to uh, involve people from minority ethnic backgrounds or people of other ethnicities and so on in the old orange versus green debate, but to find out from them what they are, what their problems are, which could be addressed. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people really want you to know what they want, what their needs are. And if you can meet that, then at least, you know, do something about it then you know people trust you that's how people can trust you and want to be part of you or part of any political party really over the years i really haven't seen many um, political parties as far as i i know um specifically going out to to um to meet with ethnic minorities or to join the events and you know and go to have maybe you know six monthly meeting to to find out how they are getting on and no 
I, I don't see anything like that. So that's the, the politicians need to pull up their socks on, on that front, perhaps. Um, what would your advice be to perhaps a young, aspiring uh, politician from a minority ethnic background in Northern Ireland? Um, wanting to, I mean, first thing I think is to register to vote. Uh, I know it's legal, it's legal to register as, as voters, but I know there are plenty of people who really haven't registered. So first of all, you need to have the ballot box, you know, to get to vote for the politicians who, who really are on your side, who care about you. So, and I think joining a political party, obviously, is another step if you want to become a politician and, um, you know, make your voice known in parties. I know parties are very welcoming, you know, if someone wants to join a new member, particularly from a hard-to-reach community, you know, they certainly would, would very much, you know, would bring you in and, and you know, have some induction and, you know, you can participate. So be active, you know, in 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 um, in the political party, then to get yourself known, um, then step by step, you know, maybe start from local council level and then up and for the assembly. And it is important. We must have. We need to have more ethnic minority voices. If not, you know, they're not go. Their needs are not going to be met. Uh, I still think it is very much um, a green and orange agenda very much a white male uh, agenda um, and uh, especially women's voices are not to be heard um, and the, I personally feel that there is a lot of work still needs to be done but I am really getting tired now and I'm just sort of um, saying 43 years I've banged my head yes I have done what I have done maybe I have left a little legacy but even if I go in two years time, three years time, will I be able to make that change which I really want to see in this part of the world? And that that I always question and I always call question in, in myself that there is no genuine um, sort of um, enthusiasm or genuine way of wanting to make a true shared learning, shared hearing, you know, shared spaces and shared um, listening for people like us. You know, uh, I, I still feel that, yeah. So if, if there was a young, uh, a young Nisha Tandon <laughs> sitting here in front of you now and about to set off on, on this journey into the, the future of Northern Ireland, what would your what would your advice be, and what policies and practices would you want the politicians really to to start to embed? I would I would like uh, the new generation who will take over if they have interests in arts, culture, and heritage, which I just feel that that is also gone because we are not doing that in the curriculum anymore. We do not have a dance, so, you know, in, in our curriculum. We do not have theater in our curriculum. Music, yes, because we are a land of music and musicians. Um, theater, maybe to some respect, but for, for a younger generation, keep fighting and please keep fighting till you are really heard 
um, and your voices are really, really, really taken seriously uh, from, uh, from the policy level to the politicians, um, to the councillors, to the new upcoming youth and upcoming uh, new people. I don't know who they are going to be. But again, I still feel that there is a lot more needs to be done where the young people from minority ethnic communities are concerned as well. Because yes, uh, you know, we believe that our children should be at the top in our academic side of things. You know, we are great believers of that, that, you know, we give them the academics as the top level. You need to be very good in your studies and all that, but you need to do your side activities as well. And those side activities could be dance, drama, uh, you know, um, public speaking or sports or whatever. But, you know, we don't have, we are not giving those opportunities for our young people today. Uh, I feel that as well. And if we don't do that today, we will not have the future leaders. Um, and we don't want to repeat what my generation and my children's generation have done. You know, I just want that the new generations which are coming, they should be really given the opportunities. You mentioned the Black Lives Matter protests and albeit there were problems with the way that was handled. In one sense, it's a sign that there's some sort of a growing sense of confidence. Are you optimistic about that? Do you? Well, I, I was very heartened uh, to see the Black Lives Matter. Um, but seeing local people with ethnic minority people standing there together side by side with social distance, um, I found it really, really inspiring and made me hopeful, made me hopeful that perhaps, I think perhaps a younger generation, uh, younger people seem to be more, maybe um, more leaning towards diversity, you know, valuing diversity, maybe than the older generation who have mm. not mixed maybe or met ethnic minority people or lived in a multicultural society like London and other places in the UK when our young people maybe had gone to universities in other parts of the world and coming back and they don't see black people as something alien. They see them as human beings, as friends and as individuals. Um, so I think, yeah, I am hopeful. I am hopeful now we are seeing maybe more tourists coming you know, hopefully with pandemic, pandemic over, um, you know, we are beginning to see um, diversity, more diversity in Northern Ireland, more people coming to take on jobs. And I'm so heartened too when seeing on television about interviews of consultants in the NHS and nurses. So many of them are from very different backgrounds. And uh, so, you know, we see that the UK is now really a multi-ethnic society and it is important Northern Ireland must catch up with it. Many thanks to Denise Wright, Nisha Tandon and Anna Lowe. Visit our website mmeconsult.org for further details. Watch the series on YouTube or subscribe to the MME Matters podcast on all the main podcast outlets. 
and follow us on social media at MME Council.